This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Headstuff Studios in Dublin, welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I'm Dara Gauche. I've been reading a book recently, Oscailga, called Nonine, and it is one of the most exciting and interesting uh, books, Oscailga, I've read in, in, in a while. It's, I'm just blown away by it. It is a book in, I suppose you say it's in verse, and it's a story of a, of a teenage girl who meets a chap online. And the cover art design has been done by Kirsten Scheel, who does the artwork for this very podcast. And I am absolutely delighted to have the author on the phone with me today. Marzef, Falchka Motherfucklor. Girl, I it. It's lovely to be with you. <laughs> we are just delighted to have you. Um, Mari, can you, um, first of all, maybe just tell the, our, our listeners who might not be familiar with your work a little about yourself. So I, um, I now have eight books that I've written, um, all of which are in Irish. Um, so I started out writing, first of all, historical fiction. So my first book was called, or it's called Tubbister and Titanic, which uh, follows the story of a brother and sister who discover like a magic door um, in their granny's house and they go through it and they are transported in, in time. So there was um, the Titanic and then there was a follow up of that um, with uh, the Vikings in, in Dublin. Um, so um, that's where I started out because my own background is in history. Um, and uh, then I got into picture books. Um, so I wrote Nagor Skull, uh, Don't Go to School, um, mm. which is about a little bear starting school. And he's really excited, but his mommy doesn't want him to go. It's kind of a role reversal story. Uh-huh. Um, and it was a big game changer for me, actually, because um, it... Uh, it then got translated to like seven languages around the world. It's for sale in America and China and Korea and all sorts. So um, it was really exciting for me. It's now available in English um, in Ireland and the UK as well. Um, and then I've been writing um, a series of picture books about a girl called Rita. Okay. Um, and there with illustrator Andrew Whitson. Um, and Tanahid were the publishers of those. And that's been a real interesting journey just um, in that writing a series is such a different thing and having this character who who lives beyond individual stories and books. Um, so that's been brilliant and we've got more of hers to come. Um, and uh, and yeah, then, then the latest one is really something a bit different for me because um, uh, No Nina's for 
for teenagers for the first time or young adults really it's kind of even the older side of teens so into young adults and that's been a real departure for me um and a really big learning curve as well I guess um but beyond that I've been the uh, children's writing fellow uh, for Northern Ireland um, the first person to do that job I've just finished it recently um and that was based at the Seamus Heaney Centre in Belfast there Mm. at Queen's and um and it was just a wonderful thing to do because on the other you've got all the writing side which can be so solitary and so um sort of lonely in a sense just you and your book um but this was the other side of going out into schools and festivals and libraries and um getting children writing um and was involved in all sorts of projects as part of that so it was really lovely antidote actually to the writing side of things Absolutely. And as you say there, Nonin is a very different uh, kind of book to the book about the, the teddy bear wanting to go to school. And it is a uh, it's, it's a book that we can grips you very early on in that it's, it's a you'd call it was a verse. It's written in verse, but it's a novel, but it's in verse. And in some ways, the the individual chapters, which are only a page or two each, um, they are almost like uh, emails or long text messages, but they are poems. Yeah, it was really interesting to write in that way, actually, because um, I find that very often when I try and write in prose, my prose wants to sort of fragment itself and break up mm. anyway, because well, um, what I find was when you write like that, it's like you've got the shape of the page, the shape of the words as much as you've got the the sound of the words or the meaning of the words. So you've kind of got an extra... You know, if you normally write in 2D, you're, you're in 3D, <laughs> you're oh, writing yeah. in the verse novel, you've got this extra kind of element to it where you can, you know, lots of repetition and space and you can use the space in interesting ways as well. So I really loved writing like that. I just find it easy for the words to flow or for the, the emotions to flow or something. There was there was some some way that I find it a lot easier than prose. Uh, and that surprised me because I thought it was going to be a very difficult thing to write. But it just it just works so well, and, and and even when you are reading it, and you think that if somebody finds it odd, initially odd looking on a page, you just when you're reading, it, you realize like it couldn't be going down any other way. And the uh, I suppose, the, and particularly those kind of poetic techniques, I'm always getting people asking me that they're a, that they're a learner or that they're an adult who maybe doesn't want to necessarily read a kid's book, but they want something that's kind of maybe straightforward Irish or something that's not not challenging. But well, I, I wouldn't say maybe not, not challenging can, can it maybe isn't the right word but i think the fact that the that the that the the pace the, the pace that's created by the short chapters and the the repetition of certain words kind of uh kind of poetically for the for its intensity of meaning does actually make it very handy for a a reader returning to irish to actually kind of follow what's going on very quickly without having the english next to it I, I think that's definitely true. And it's a strange thing because when people hear that something's written in verse, their first instinct is to imagine that that makes it complex or um, hard to get into. Um, and I think once anybody's ever read anything in free verse, you realise that it's really the opposite. It's like you've taken, it's like a condensed version of a novel. You've taken out all the fat or all of the the extras and you've pared it down. So it's very fast moving and it's very... Um, easy to read as a genre so they find that um i think in all languages um that it's been a bit of a, a game changer um specifically for reluctant readers or people who feel challenged um when they see a big you know there's lots of people that their hearts sink when they see the length of a book um 
Yeah. Just that there's a commitment of time or, you know, we're all busy people and sometimes it's that. But sometimes as well, um, especially uh, with teens and stuff, there's just a, a sense in which they they don't want to take on a big, uh, a long book like that. So when I was reading these books in English, um, I thought, uh, just as you said, that there was an um, an extra element in which this would be great for Irish because, um, as you mentioned, um, adult learners, um, hmm. But also for for um, Irish speaking teenagers, and hmm. um, there's an interesting thing that happens as you go through as, as people go through their education that that there's some sometimes a point at which because there's so much choice in English for reading and whatever that, that the English reading takes off and that there's a reluctance to read in Irish through lack of material, but also there's some, some other obstacle there maybe uh, for people. Um, so I just thought this would cut through it, you know, that this well hmm. hopefully can be. Um, sort of a new stepping stone or something in in the mix um that people can can lift it and as you say um there, there's an ease of reading it uh, mm. that is maybe different from a lot of books absolutely and it is a very i'd say it's an as well as the actual the, the, the text itself it is an urgently topical book it's really quite dark isn't it, <laughs> it <certainly laughs> it's worth is. saying at this point <laughs> that it takes a, like a health warning or something mm. you know i i always worry about the people who are used to reading my books that are about you know, robots and fairy godmothers and dragons. And that um, if anyone should lift this book, they're expecting that they're going to be in for a bit of a shock, I think, because <laughs> it is dark. And, and, and as you say, topical, um, I think that this is a, just a huge issue of our time of um, the Internet being so important. It does an absolute lifeline to us. Um, but there being that other side to it as well, that really, really dark potential in there of us needing to know um, needing to be alert and aware um, to where to trust, where not to trust, where to be open, where not to, and just where those lines are, I guess. Very much so. It's it's it's, it's something I I think about all the time, and we think about the vulnerability and what what the world, but that of um, I suppose the, the 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 dangers of the online world, and but there's also I suppose the something that comes across in the books is you know the the offline world isn't great either sometimes. I don't think it's that different mm. in a lot of ways, but I think that people are more aware or alert to um, where the lines of public and private are in in the in the real world, you know. Mm. And it's when it's virtual, people can feel so close so quickly um, to people where they really have no knowledge um, of who they are or who they're connected to or what their background is and that kind of thing. Um, and I think that I just sense I live with a lot of teenagers at home. Mm. I've got uh, five kids at home um, yeah. between children and stepchildren um, and three of them are teenagers. And so I hear the kind of um, uh, the mistrust they have of safety information they're given. And I understand it. It's that kind of when you're that age and, and your teachers are telling you, you know, uh, don't drink alcohol or you'll die. And it's that kind of, you know, over exaggerated messages that they just learn to brush off. And I think that when they're talked to about the Internet, they feel like like and kind of rightly so it's their world, not the world of the generation before who are trying to teach them about it. Mm. Um, but there's a real sense of invincibility that frightens me because I think if you know how uh, vulnerable you are, then you're in a safe place. And if you feel invincible, then you're really not. Yes. Um, and I, I guess that's the, the message I was trying to get across in, in the book um, rather than any kind of uh, talking down. <laughs> mm. You know, just that kind of sense that you got your eyes wide open and you'll be good. <laughs> it's a funny one because I'm, I think obviously I'm, I'm, uh, 
I'm 41 years old now, and I, one of the a phenomena among internet users my generation, and this comes up every um, every August. So probably not 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 long after we this, this episode comes out, there'll be people um, tweeting about how uh, about leaving cert results, and they were saying, you know, don't worry if your if your A level results or your leaving cert results aren't great. Mine weren't great. Now I'm a big success, and and then the the responses. You're, dude, you're 41. No, no young people follow you. You're what, they're not even on the same platform as you. They're not even using different things. And these, um, we actually could. The, there's been some versions of social media around for so long that they're actually you, you do have full digital natives now. Who people, um, teenagers who've grown up in a world when there never really has, when there hasn't hasn't been an alternative to a, a social media online. And I remember someone recently was saying that I uh, was talking about couples meeting online through Tinder or Grindr or other sorts of things. And they're saying that when you when a, when a person meets someone they're interested in, that there's always this element of, of Facebook stalking or something almost now. And it's like they say, ultimately, all dating is, is somewhat online now. And even then, a, a person having absolutely no uh, social media profile at all is often seen as a kind of a, almost like a almost like a danger sign almost it's it's an it's amazing the transformations that the internet has brought that we'll i don't think we'll understand until we can look back from future generations but as you said earlier on and i think it's just really really important that there's these revolutions but there's also the sense in which the universal truths are still true and that people's interactions with each other are still what they've always been they're just in a different in a different place, you know. Yes. Um, but one of the other things that I was really interested to explore in the book was just the questions of this kind of um, guilt that people take on around around uh, when something bad happens, this instinct to find out who's to blame. Yeah. And to to apportion blame, and that there's a huge sense in which um, for for generations, I suppose the generation above me, mm-hmm. um, uh, but that there's a huge sense in which there's a fear of the internet, and that feeds into this sense of, you know, people being irresponsible and um, and that it's their own fault to get themselves in these in these situations. And and it was really important to me in the book as well, whilst saying let's all be aware and keep our eyes open, mm. but also saying like let's make sure we always put the blame in the right place. Mm. <laughs> that it's perpetrators of horrific acts who are to blame and not people um, who are the victims. And that that goes so deeply in our society. I think this victim blaming. Yes. Um, that uh, that it's it's it was something that was really interesting to unpick just in terms of Nonine's mother in the story and and how it's all bound up with her fears mm-hmm. and and how her her fearful place that she ties herself into then gets reflected onto why has this happened to my daughter and um, is it her fault is it my fault and all of these you know this these mm. this whirlwind of blame um that we have in our culture and i just you know um just aside from the internet things there's all sorts of questions in there that that um that are true regardless of of where something happens or how it happens mammy nikolich the uh stone age those references that were very good it, it is something that and when we, we do see more and more of these stories we hear them anecdotally or then we hear them on the news and it's, as you say the establishing blame and it, it can often distract from actually kind of preventing things happening again or from learning from things the because so often um there's, there's so often people think that if something isn't establishing proving that something isn't their fault is more important than proving what happened 
so and where did we say that the inspiration for the book came from um between the the actual the format you used and the actual subject matter was there any one moment you thought this is like i have to write this book um i think that what people have asked me this before in mm-hmm. relation to why the change as well you know why to suddenly write something that's really quite different i think that what's happening to me as a writer is um that an awful lot of what's preoccupying me in my my day-to-day life comes out in my writing I guess that's something that's um very normal I'm not saying that you know robots and and teddy bears are (laughs) but actually I wrote this story about starting school my youngest was starting school and there there has been a sense in which my home life and my my um parenting life mm-hmm. has been where you know where you're obsessing about and the issues that you're dealing with so I guess there's a kind of a natural sense in which as the years have gone by um, and my own children are older where these are the issues that you're surrounded by on a daily basis and um, that you're grappling with and struggling with maybe and reading about and thinking about um, so I guess that's um, you know some of where where it came from um, uh, just a feeling that there was an important, um, that it's an important moment in time, I, I guess, and that um, and that this question of of uh, trust and and um, and relationships and and love, um, that, that it was something that was just um, that I was ready to write. Yeah. Um, but the genre was really different because you've got this really, really dark subject matter. I mean, really dark. And when I didn't really think it through when I when I thought to, to, to start on the book, how dark my research would have to get. Um, I hadn't kind of uh, it seems obvious in hindsight, but I hadn't really thought through that I was going to spend weeks and months of my life researching you know, paedophile psychology and <laughs> yeah. it's just, you know, all sorts of really, really dark, nasty. I'm really glad nobody was looking at my Google search history at the time because some of it was really, really difficult. Mm. Um, but um, so on the one hand, you've got this really difficult subject. And then on the other hand, the genre, which actually was something so light and so different for me that that, that I, I felt I was able to stretch myself a bit as a writer Um uh, much as I love writing picture books and I, I'm still writing picture books, it's still a, a very deep love of mine. Um, but it's, you know, you're very restricted in terms of the numbers of words that you can use, the types of words that you can use. So this felt a bit liberating language wise, you know, that I could just play a little, I guess, with language. And mm. um, so uh, so I knew that I wanted to write a verse novel because I've been enjoying reading verse novels. And I thought, Irish needs a verse novel (laughs) for Mm. young adults and uh, so there was kind of a sense as well I think always when you're writing in a minority language you can't do it without an awareness of where you feel gaps are in that market or where you think what you think might be useful or needed or lacking Um, and I get I think that's different from when you're writing in English um, that you just have a, a, a sense the whole time of um being able to add to a canon and I did have a strong sense that there that um Irish is brilliant now for kids books and it goes a bit into teenage but it's very safe and young teenage I think um and that there wasn't anything sort of on this level which is just a wee bit more I guess is a little bit shocking as a book it's a bit more um it goes into it goes into a different age range um, which is something that is kind of challenging, I think, as well. Um, I think Irish 
language literature world has been quite safe. Yeah. Um, and you kind of feel a strange sense when you're pushing at the boundaries of it. Um, but that's, you know, uh, but, but certainly the publisher had had some interesting feedback from teachers who were mm. like, ooh, that's a bit, <laughs> what was the word they used? That's a bit, not uh, 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 oh, gory. What was the word? <laughs> I can't remember the word they used, but it was um, graphic. It's a bit graphic. I was like, yeah, it is a bit graphic. <laughs> Um, it doesn't pull any punches. But I, I think that's great because I mean, so often a lot of people who are doing things in Irish. I know your um, your your near neighbours, the rappers kneecap. They hear this a bit. That sometimes things that um, that things that are done in Irish are almost expected to be for everyone and are expected to be kind of you know specifically educational. And sometimes you say no, actually, just this is um, this is the language I write in. This is the language I compose in. This is the language I perform in. And I want I want it to be as personal as possible. And sometimes you think that, yes, this isn't for everyone. It's, it won't necessarily be for every single person who wants to just read as many Irish books as possible. But this is, um, but nothing, nothing great is ever for everyone. And you have to ask the question, you know, would it be a problem if it existed in English? No. Yes. <laughs> when you think of the <laughs> exactly. things that kids, and like, I know what kids love reading at this age. You know, I kind of put 15 plus in my head on this book um, and I've got, 15 and 16 year olds at home and I know the kind of stuff they're reading I know what they're watching mm. um and it and it's graphic and they have no I think they have no problem with dark compared to their parents like me um that we find it a lot more difficult so I've been having lots of feedback from really traumatized parents who've been reading this <laughs> parents <laughs> of teenagers <laughs> mm. I'm like sorry guys it's you know you can enjoy it but it wasn't actually written for you <laughs> Um, but I think there's a, a, there's a distinction there between what teenagers and what young adults um, uh, will want to read mm-hmm. and what schools will want to teach. Um, and I'd like to think that Nonian could be both. Um, I think there's a strong case that you could make there. But it's a it's a question that, um, you know, we shouldn't have to um, let uh, teachers who can be quite a conservative bunch, yeah. um, certainly when they've got their teaching hats on. Um, that we shouldn't necessarily let them be gatekeepers for what literature gets written um, in Irish. And I think that's really, really important. It's really important that we have books that uh, kids will want to pick up and read themselves um, and uh, or 20-somethings or, or whatever. Because um, I think that young adult uh, label is, is a very wide one. I don't yeah. think the line uh, is easily drawn about, about where, where that should fall. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that if we only think of, um, and I think for the publishers, it's quite difficult because, um, in terms of sales, once a book gets taken up by schools as a school text, then obviously their sales are very, very different um, in Irish. So there's a kind of a, there's a kind of an incentive there for them to always be conservative as well. So I was really, really grateful to Kushlifa to kind of, to kind of go with it. And they really did. They really stood behind it the whole way through, um, um, and we're quite unapologetic um, about writing something that was just a bit edgier than we're used to in Irish. That was lovely. Yeah, I think it was it was definitely a risk worth taking. It's been wonderful. But I was just thinking there that I mean, um, you would have done Irish for A levels. I'm guessing yes. Yeah, I, I was brought up speaking Irish at home, ah. um, but I did it. I did it for A level as well at school. Yeah. So, and I'm just thinking, can we hear, we get this, these conversations a lot on this podcast and, and any, all of the contributors hear this afterwards, this, the way it's taught, the way it's taught, Irish isn't very good, but the, um, 
What kind of what what books would you have read for in, when you're doing Irish for the A levels compared to what's taught on the Leaving Cert? You see that thing about how it's taught is yeah. only something I've ever heard from Southerners. Yeah, I've never in my life heard anybody in the North talk about um, the way that Irish is taught. Well, partly it's not a compulsory language, so a compulsory subject. So there may be an awful lot of it that that falls just simply because of that. Mm. Um, so it's very much something that's chosen. And, and so it's people who have a real love of it who tend to study it. So that maybe changes the whole um, culture of it as well. Yeah. Um, but we were taught, I mean, we were taught just incredibly. I, I, I couldn't speak highly enough of, of my Irish teachers at school. Mm. And that whole experience of going to the Gaeltacht and um, uh, just being submerged in, in, in some sort of other world is what it felt like. Um, mm. But I guess I'd grown up that way. Um, we felt like, you know, being brought up with Irish myths and legends and old songs and all of that kind of stuff that it felt quite alien to me. Then when I went to school, all my schooling was through English mm-hmm. and it just felt like there was these two worlds and they didn't meet. Um, and so there was a lovely sense for me then later on when I did do a level Irish and things of just kind of my world's coming together where um where where the wider world knew about some of this stuff as well it wasn't just a home secret you know Mm. um and then funny enough i went to study um in oxford i did uh history over there and they were so open to the irish side of my life that that also really took me aback so they were happy for me to go and study gaelic poems and um, to, to spend as long as I wanted learning, you know, all sorts of stuff about, um, yeah, uh, history and literature and whatever of, of the Irish language. And it was just really interesting because um, you have all these lines that are drawn for you about politics and schooling and whatever. And it was just really liberating for me then to, mm-hmm. to find people just so open to it and, and fascinated by it. Because why wouldn't you be? It's a great Irish scene in Oxford. We have been told, and there's a obviously there's a there's a hurling club and a GA club, and there's a lots obviously lots of Irish lectures and stuff is there as well. It's a little scene, absolutely. But um, so Myra, tell, tell us what what do you have next on the horizon? Obviously, this 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 book has been a success, and what 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 do you have coming in the next few months in 2019 before the end of this decade? I have a, a really beautiful uh, new book coming out, hopefully in September with Fata Fata, and it's um. It's called Anfelacan Lagusan Re, the Butterfly and the King. Oh. And it's um it's a retelling of the old myth of Mir and Aiding. Um and uh so I was tasked with uh bringing it up to date. You know, uh, we've kind of had an awful lot of this with Grimm's fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales and whatever, where we look at them now and sort of say, How does this fit with our with where we are, where we are as a society and our values and whatever, specifically in terms of gender. So yes. this is a kind of a looking back on this old story, a beautiful, beautiful old story. We have it from um, the uh, book of the Dun Cow in the 12th century. Um, but it's much older than that about this girl who's transformed into a butterfly. Um, and uh, it's a sort of a love story or a love triangle, if you want to think of it that way. Um, but a really, really fantastic story. But the the, the main character, it's very definitely Aiding's story, but the main character in the story as we have it um, has no agency whatsoever in her own story. So she's bewitched and she's sold and she's and finally won in a game of chess. I mean, it's that stark. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, 
I was given this story to to look at it again and to retell it um, for for modern uh, children um, in a way that that we would be happy to tell it now. And I thought that was fascinating. I spent quite a lot of time going back into very very strange old versions of this story um and uh, and I grew up with the story myself so it's quite it's quite hard when you're given something that's really very precious to you and um and you're afraid to to mess with it too much you know to make sure that the sort of that the elements of that it's still the same story um but that it's just a, a reworking of it so that's um I've finished that and it's um, being illustrated by a really fantastic illustrator called Shona Shirley MacDonald I don't know if you've come across her work, but she's absolutely, it's going to be very, very, very beautiful book, I think. Um, just judging by what I've seen of her, her, her pictures as well. So I have that coming out um, hopefully in September and I have a new Rita book as well. Um, so Rita uh, in each book, she's like this little girl with these big mad ideas. So she'll face like a really normal problem and then she'll come up with a completely fantastical solution. Um, so, uh, uh, so she's had a robot and a fairy godmother and um, a witch and a, and a dragon. And in this story, it's um, Rita Uggs and Ninja. So she's going <laughs> to, oh. there's, there's going to be a lot of ninjas in this book. And I can't wait. Do you know when you've got a book coming out that you know that it's not just the book itself, but I'm going to have so much fun in schools with this. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to say, I'm going to make some kind of, I don't know, ninja masterclass. Um, <laughs> and I can't wait. So, um, so we've got that to look forward to as well. Um, and uh, various things on the horizon, but um, lots of schools projects on the horizon as well. Um, and uh, I'm kind of really, really, I'm, and I'm in a funny place now where I'm just kind of trying to, I've got so many different areas that I've been writing in that I really trying to, it's quite difficult to work out where I want to go next. So I'd mm. love to write another uh, verse novel. I'd love to do another Nonine, oh, yes. or a completely different Nonine. Um, uh, but I'm also just, I can't stay away from the picture books. So I'm not sure. It's, it seems like a really unlikely combination, but I think that's, that's where my attention is mm. going to be. It certainly sounds like you get your hands full and you did it right. And before we wrap up, um, I do like to ask our guests what their favourite Irish word is. Uh-huh. Um, I love the word shisternach. Um, I love onomatopoeic words anyway, but there's something about shisternach that just, whether it's describing wind in the trees or the rustle of silk or whatever, it's just a really, really beautiful word. So shisternach, that would be my word. Fantastic. Maura, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thanks so much for having me, Daryl. So until the next time, it's a slán from me. Okay, slán Catch you next time. Thank you. Um, hi guys, hope you're all well. Um, so I picked two schlochtene from, like sections from the uh, story that I thought were kind of indicative of the story without spoiling it and we're also maybe interesting enough that might make you want to read more um so I suppose like that would be my ideal if I had written this book and what I would want people to do you know not give away the story but also make people intrigued so they are 34 and 35 so Pogue and Borja um and they're on page pages 70 to 73 short and sweet but enough that might make people interested. I'm gonna try and do my best poetry voice now. So here we go. Trecha Cahar, Hogue. 
er folk zu Bochel River erst ausinlom. Nur ein paar Schüssen an Kest, Nilsche Magafum, dem Chana, no a Karbru. Ni ekenche Vibe, nur in Schiemdo, nur folk gefol. Oder Jochi Lomsa, Pog a Hort Dutch, a Nonin a Dersche. Du hier folk. Weg solles ne Realte stiegaun. Ich drift lu, er de Viola, agus tas ne Greene, er de Kraken, La Saura. Ve kinata saun, agus plurin biog blasta. Then voodoo darcha, then a space room. Trecha kuig, borcha. Anonin, Marcharalat, a scriven emer, go firmalta. A wall is not caralum nis moe. Kahemer raw will me borha foot. Iver hain, nil anna agot er. Shinahilan shisha. Iver a do. Kahentu gach bumited in law er an onlash. Tot darma dainta a got er an earsail. Kade mar a higa kali nach reving raw, ko bio bahach fear is a ta shot. Iver a tree, nur kastu erfu, go forward. Okay, class, that's it. <laughs> um, if you want me to do more, uh, let us know, Derek, and I can. Um, but like I said, I don't want to give away the story. Um, I'd like people to actually buy this book because it's actually deadly, as you know. Um, but uh, let me know um, and I can do that. Um, but yeah, um, I hope to see you all soon. Hope you're well. Hope you're missing me loads and you haven't replaced me yet. Okay, bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Um, I just want to let you know, Brian, that I am sitting under a duvet with a flash lamp.